You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, OJ, Juice, man, this is strictly for them true fans, golf fans, number one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, I'm up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt with, of course, OJ McDuffie and DJ Preach. Juice, not not quite a normal day here in the tank. It's uh, It's been a tough one for all of us uh, and everyone in Dolphins Nation, but particularly I, I know it's been really difficult on you. Uh, heavy heart and, um, you know, with the passing of a Dolphins icon in Coach Shula, and I know a man who was very influential in your career and your life. How, how you holding up? Yeah, big Seth, man. Um, you know, uh, it's it's a tough day, man. Start off really, really, really sad, but then I look back, man, and I start thinking about how blessed I was to have this legend in my life, man. You know, I mean, Coach Shula was more than a coach. You know, he he was a legend, and you mentioned he was an icon. He was a pillar in South Florida, not just in sports, but you know, in the community as well. You know, what he did on the field was extraordinary as a coach, as we all know. But you know, what he did in this community was beyond believable, and so. Um, Honestly, Coach Shula put South Florida on the map. He, he's the first legend that, you know, that ever graced South Florida. And everything he did in a, in a positive way, man. He taught us all how to be winners, you know, both on and off the field. And, you know, he was a man of God and family and a man of integrity. A man of integrity. Always did things the right way. And I know he will he'll, he'll, he'll rest up high, man, with his head high. And, you know, he'll, he, he had no regrets. He did everything the right way, man. And. You know, he he did everything that uh, you you want in a, in a man, not just in a coach. And I think as um after his retirement, I think he became more of a, a person that you respect because I think as a player, you like, damn, Shula's kicking my butt today. Shula's kicking my ass today again, right. man. But then when you look back and you you think about it, man, he was preparing us for after football, for life, man. Be on time, be accountable, be responsible. Be respectful. You know, give back to your community. That's, that's what Coach was always talking about with us, man. And, and that's what I think, um, you know, people don't, won't know about Coach because they hear the stories about how tough he was as a coach, all the wins, you know, all the records. But, hell, man, Coach was all about us being the best men we could be as, as grown men with our families. And, you know, you saw the transition from him in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. You know, in the 70s, he was really, really, really tough. You know, in the 80s, he was tough, tough. In the 90s, he was tough, but not as tough as, you know, everybody else in the 70s and 80s said he was with them. But then when he retired, man, you saw the family man more. You saw the jokes, the laughter, the anecdotes. Everybody sit there and they, they sit there and they talk with him. Dude, he, he really, 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 you know, he brought it to a different level. Whereas, you know what? I'm not your coach anymore. Now I can be your friend. I can be your buddy. I can be your pal. We can talk and we can chuck it up a little bit, man. And, and that's the, you know, that's the best thing about it, man. You, a lot of times you don't appreciate somebody as much as you did until they're not your coach anymore or not around you anymore. You realize what he was really trying to do in life. And that's what coach was all about. And, uh, you know, God bless coach, you know, Marianne, the whole entire Shula family, because uh, he, he still is always will be a great man in a lot of people's views. And like I said, Seth, this man did it the right way, man. So, yeah, he'll, he'll truly be missed, man. I've I shed multiple tears, you know, thinking about coach and, and, and losing coach and, you know, and the time that I spent with him. And I thought coach would be a guy to be around until he's 100 years old. I really did. 
and uh, he he had that energy still. And all that, all that laughter, man. I see him smiling right now, man. Just a great man. And, uh, you know, like I said, South Florida, Miami Dolphins, the world lost an incredible man. Yeah, I don't think anyone would argue with you there, Juice. And I appreciate you sharing those words. Is there any one moment that might stick out to you? A, a fun memory, a lasting memory, anything specific? And, you know, I know he, you were his first round draft choice in 93. Yeah. And, and had three amazing seasons playing directly under him. And then, as you said, built that lifetime bond with him afterwards. But uh, does anything stick out specifically? There's a lot of things that stick out, man. First of all, I, I couldn't imagine that he would draft me. You know, the Marx brothers were just here. And when I'm duper, we're still on the roster. We just, you know, got Urban Fryer and Mark Ingram in free agency. So why the hell is he drafting a, a receiver from Penn State in the first round? Made no sense to me, man. But the day I got that phone call in April in 93, I mean, that was the, the moment that I got to meet another legend. Just on the phone at that point, man. But I tell you, man, it was the, one of the best days of my life. as my family's life. But I got to know Coach from that day on, you know, until the day he retired, our relationship and our friendship grew. And then after he was retired, I think it grew even more. But he was tough on me. He was tough for me, man. That first, the first mini camp I had with him, Seth, you know, we're sitting there and I finally got one little shot to go with the number one team. I got to go with Dan Marino, you know, Irvin Fryer, Keith Jackson, Duke was still on the team. You know, I got my, I got my little butt in there. It's quite man. a lineup, man. That is a hell of a lineup in there, right? And I got in there and Danny called a play and I said, wait, man, I don't, I don't know this play. <laughs> I don't know this play. And I know for a fact that we had not installed that play. It's my first mini camp. That play wasn't in the install. And so I called a timeout. And she was like, what the hell are you doing? I said, coach, I, don't be burning I don't, this timeout, Juice. We, we don't have the, this, this is in, in training. It's training camp, so it doesn't matter. We got, we got multiple timeouts then, Big Seth. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he, he, he's like, I said, I don't know this play, coach. He said, well, he said, well, it's in your playbook. I said, well, it had to be in my playbook because everybody else knew the damn play. <laughs> it had to be in the playbook because everybody else knew it. I said, well, I don't know. We didn't install it. He said, well, learn your fucking playbook. And that was it. That was the last time I got a chance to go to number ones for at least three or four months with the Dolphins. So I, I blew it. My first opportunity with Coach Shula, man. That was my first big interaction with him. And uh, from that point on, Seth, I learned every single position I as bet. a wide receiver, as a running back, as a tight end. And I, I was trying to figure out what Danny was looking at, but that was way too complicated for me. <laughs> but you learned your playbook, though, didn't you? Damn right I did. Every single play. He wasn't going to call me out like that because Shula would call you out in front of the whole team. It wasn't about trying to belittle you, but he's trying to let everybody else know Know your shit because you're we're, we're holding everybody accountable. You know yours, you know yours, and we're going to be okay as a team. We're going to be a winning team. I love it. That's really good stuff. And, you know, I, I, we've seen a lot of tributes already today and, and, and will, uh, I'm sure, throughout the week uh, to Coach Shula, uh, uh, certainly deserving. Quite honestly, I don't know that anybody could do him justice, uh, you know, right. with all that he's accomplished and, as you said, did it the right way. But here in the tank, uh, we only know one way to do what we do. And uh, I, I got a call uh, from Scott Stone. I was talking to Scott today and we were yep. reflecting and he said, man, you have so many great stories. You have so many great stories that so many different guys have told about Coach Shula. And if you think about it, he's probably been talked about as much, if not more than anybody on the show. And, and, and you know, Scott. Oh, he's only, cro only crossed over four decades of players. Right, right. <laughs> right. How, you know, and, and even those who didn't play for him, you know, you talk to the, right. JT, the different guys. If you were around here long enough, then, you know, you spent some time with Coach and you felt that. And, and so, you know, we dove in the vault and started pulling out some of these stories. And I think what we'll do is we'll spend the rest of today listening to just some of the greatest stories uh, about Coach Shula that have been told here in the tank. And yes, 
I think one that we could start with uh, was a guy who was uh, your position coach at one That's point. My coach. My yeah, coach. Larry Seipel, but he didn't start as a position coach. He started much like you did uh, on the field and, and <laughs> as you said, feeling the true wrath of coach. Um, but he, he actually started with Coach Wilson. And so he got to see that transition for this franchise. And, and, you know, you talked about that Coach Shula put the Dolphins on the map. Well, Coach Seipel saw that and experienced it firsthand. And when he dove into the tank, he talked about how, you know, a 1970 hit and the entire world changed uh, once Don Shula was in South Florida. Shula walks in in 1970. All of a sudden, we're practicing four times a day. <laughs> four times a day. Well, 7.30 in the morning, 10.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the shit. afternoon and 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have time to go to the bathroom for crying out loud. Well, Channing uh, Crowder has a remedy for yeah. that. <laughs> Just take care of it on the field. But it was, you know, it was a, a really a, a unique situation. We're, a, we're bitching like hell That's about what I was the wondering. practices. And, you know, we're screaming, you know, this is too much. Well, after the 70 season was over, we were kind of glad we did something like that because he actually he actually got us to believe in ourselves more than anything else. That's awesome. And uh, it was uh, it was a, a a good time when in 70 when he came there. Was there a game or instance in that 70 season that all of a sudden you guys realized how much talent you had, how good you were? Something that Stula might have said that said, you know what, we can play with any fucking body. Yeah. And basically, that's it. Did. To have one game, I don't think there was just one game that did it. I think it was a gradual thing of, of the training camp and then getting into the preseason. And I think at that time, we were playing six preseason games. And, you know, yeah. we were all over the place. <laughs> we're trying we were, to get rid of the preseason. We were in North Carolina and <clears throat> playing in cow pastures and everything else. <laughs> but there, I don't think there was actually one game that gave us any kind of an idea. I think the fact that he settled in on a group of people that were going to play for him and, and showed them exactly how to get it all done. And I think it all came together about midway through the season. And we started to play a little bit better each game, and it got better and better and better and ended up in uh, a chance at the Super Bowl, which was good. Yeah, a few got our ass kicked, but it was good. <laughs> well, you made up for yeah, it. That was, a, but that was a good ass kicking, though, because it, it what it what it led to was uh, something special for for the team and the organization. It did more than anything. Uh, I think it helped us. Even though you say, well, heck, you don't want to lose twenty-four to three in a in a major game like that, but uh, I think it got us a little bit more to the point where we got a little bit more dedicated in what we were doing, and uh, you know, got some players in who could play. You know, and we had, he picked up Wayne Moore on waivers. Jim Langer on waivers, Bob Kuchenberg on waivers, on waivers. Yeah, these, these guys were on waivers. Hall of and Famers. Monty's the one. Monty Clark was the one that brought those guys in. You know, they brought everything. And he brought in Mark Fleming. Obviously, Greasy was already here. I'm trying to think of who else. Well, then all the the defensive guys. You know, like Tim Foley and Curtis Johnson and Jake Scott. You know, Jake had gone. He was drafted in '70, but he didn't come back until '71 because he went to the uh, Canadian Football League first and then he came back so you know he he got a new he had the nucleus to start with and then he kind of built around it so i think of some of the best things about then there's no free agency so the guys were right. pretty much stuck with they the were Dolphins. In. they yeah. had once once they were in you could figure out the guys that were going to be the the yeah. nucleus like he talked about and they weren't going anywhere they weren't going anywhere unless unless they got, got cut. cut yeah, <laughs> yeah if you wanted <laughs> them there they were saying the only way. <laughs> so i want to go back real quick to that 70s you know you talk about four practices a, a day which is insane was there ever a moment like I said, you guys were bitching about it. And was there ever a moment or something that Coach said? Where I'm just trying to think of a, a, just a classic, quintessential Don Shula moment where you realize that this is just not the way things were done in the past. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I'd have to say, you know, he kept using one phrase all the time, the winning edge. I mean, that was his kind of go-to statement and tried to show us that, you know, whatever he's having us do or the coaches are having us do was going to put us in a situation which was a winning edge. And it turned out to be true, obviously. Yeah, yeah clearly. Uh, so, I mean, we won a lot of games from 1970 to 1978. A lot of games. Yeah, Larry, so I, he, he witnessed a lot of changes within the organization right there. And, uh, the, and the, you know, they had a party atmosphere before that, and then Shula had brought in some structure, you know, and had a good nucleus of guys, but they didn't know how to win. And he brought in that winning edge. And that's the most important thing that – transition the Dolphins from where they were in the late 60s to where they were in the early 70s. So then we had Larry Zonka and, and Larry Little and Mercury Morris in the tank talking How about How special their, was that, man? Oh, my God. It was great, man. It was unannounced. Un, un, you know, we had Larry scheduled, but then when Merck and Zonk showed up, man, that made it very, very special for us, right? They talked about how when they lost the Super Bowl to Dallas, you know, in 71, they talked more about how you come back into camp and how things are but you think that it's going to be like a new beginning? Not for Coach, was it, Seth? No, it wasn't. No, it Coach, wasn't. Coach, Coach was talking about the year before, and he showed the film on how they, you know, how they didn't want to have that feeling again, how they wanted to make sure that they, they didn't want to have that feeling again. So those guys came back very motivated and led to one of the greatest seasons in NFL history. The greatest, right? The greatest. The absolute greatest. It'll never be matched. All I can tell you is that, Everything happened so fast. 69 were doormats. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, one of uh, George Wilson's first talks uh, to us as a team. He was smoking a cigarette, and he says, well, if we get a few breaks, and we all bounce away, we might come out on top, okay? Now we go from that to Shula being in the middle of it, making sure that in the meeting that we had before we got to the stadium, he'd give us the first three plays. So you get the first three plays. So regardless of what's happening on the universe, you better get these first three plays right. So there was a kind of tactic that he had that allowed us to play in a way in which we just simply executed what we were supposed to do after practice because it was was nothing fun about it. If you see pictures of Zonk and Lair, I mean, Jim and I, and we, uh, there's never any of us laughing because it was never anything funny because we were at work. And and I think that that atmosphere that they created there, that Don created, it was one that the fans, they connected to because they saw that, that, that they had come from a losing team to an absolute winning team. So we go from doormats to 1971, we go into playoffs. In 1972, we lose in the Super Bowl. And then when we came back, he he, he pretended like he was glad to see us. And everything was, well, hey, good to see you guys, you know. And so then we sit down and we start watching film of the Super Bowl. And he started critiquing like we had lost the game the day before. Wow. He started the season with the Super Bowl film from the previous yes. year. Wow. And then and then he's reaming us out as if these these things happened 24 hours ago, <laughs> not six months ago. You guys are ready to move forward. And so now he's – and so everybody's kind of half stunned. He turns the projector off and he gets, stands up and he says, Now, you see how sick you feel now? You see how sick – he's from Ohio. He can't, like, he can't say sorry. He says, sorry. You see how sick and <laughs> sorry you feel now? Well, just think of how sick and sorry you're going to be if you don't go back and redeem yourselves for what you did last year. And he said, but I forgot to tell you, it was just as much my fault because you can't be world's champions unless you win all three seasons. 
the regular season, the playoff season, and if you're good enough, your season boils down to one game, and that's the game you got to win. Now, we're going to walk out of here as coaches. You better find a way to get done what you need to get done in order to get back there to win that game. And we were stunned, but we dedicated ourselves to a man that we would take practice and we would employ the game plan in the classroom and then take that and translate that out into practice because he had we had we were brought up from out of the George Wilson league to into the Don Shula league where in summer camp we would run every play to the right that we had the first team and then the second team would run every play to the left and then we come back and run every play to the left the first team then we'd go in and watch it and, and then so he'd point out your mistakes there so it was always about mistake free football knowing what you're doing the whole time and taking it serious what you're supposed to do so we set out not not to go unbeaten we set out each week to take that game plan and replicate that in what we did on on sunday so it didn't matter who we played it only mattered how we executed and when you look back now you can see that that was the fruition of our success because we did things the way we're supposed to. So we go through the year, and we win 16 straight games, and they make us dogs in the Super Bowl. They said, oh, I can't win 17 games. We didn't have to win 17. We only we had, had to win one. one. And that was the one that we lined up to do. And people can't see that because their vision of us is the greatness of going unbeaten, whereas ours was the redemption from getting your ass kicked the year before. Now you're back to the one game, so we just happen to go unbeaten to that back to that spot. So people now think that that well, that's a that's the great thing if they passed us. You can't pass us. Well, there's a team that'll equal your record. You can't equal that. It's an accomplishment. It cannot be duplicated. You know how many times can you hit your first home run? Once, <laughs> and so it's already been hit out of the park. So it doesn't matter how far you hit it this time. I think the groundwork for the perfect season was laid at what Merck just alluded to was coming off that loss and that meeting when Shula first stood in front of us and said remember that feeling that we had and we reviewed that that film and went over it just like it would happen the day before just exactly like Merck said but then he stood before us and he said our objective this year and I know a lot of people in that room don't remember this I remember it vividly because I knew after being through that first uh, first two years with him what he was capable of as a head coach. And I thought when he said the next few words, he said, he looked right at us and said, our objective this year is to go one game at a time and win every game. Every game will be the Super Bowl. Now, when he said that, having been what we had been through for two years, which I had never seen anything, you know, take Marine boot camp times 10 <laughs> and spread it out over two years. And now you got it. I looked at Jim Kick, and Jim Kick goes, oh, this is going to be a beauty. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I said that later. Bob, several people said there was no thing, no talk about, you know, a perfect season. No, no one looked, viewed the season as a whole. What he said was, each game, we're going to practice being perfect on each game so that when by the time we get to the Super Bowl, his intent of that statement was to show how serious we were on each game in order to get to the Super Bowl. Were we going to win every – he didn't say we were going to win every game. He said we were going to take it like each game was a Super Bowl. We're going to get so instated in that, in that engrossment in what we're doing that by the time we get there, it will be automatic for us. And you know what? 
It was. Outside of one mistake, Gary, you premium. Fall on the ball, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> no. Another you know, thing, too, uh, you can imagine what he had been through. He had the reputation at the time of not being able to win, win the, the big, big game. game. Yeah. So we could feel the way he was feeling. He had never won. He had lost, especially that devastating loss when he was with the Colts against the New York Jets. And, and then with us losing to the Cowboys the year before, we could almost feel what he was feeling because they were, they were going to be saying now the Miami Dolphins couldn't win the big game. And we went out and won that game except for what he said about Garrow. It still would have been the only shutout in Super Bowl, Super Bowl history. history. Well, when you listen to those three icons, I mean, how amazing <laughs> is that to hear it from each of their perspectives? It's hard for me to believe. I mean, you hear guys now, you know, you play a game and, and you lose and they don't want to come back on Monday. They just want to show up on Wednesday and, and just move <laughs> forward and not look backwards. They had an entire offseason juice right. and came yeah. back. And the first day they think they're starting fresh as, as the second best team in the entire league. And he is breaking down film. Coach Shula is breaking down film from that Super Bowl and, yeah. and humiliating them in a lot of ways. And so you <laughs> don't want this feeling again. I mean, that's just epic. It's yeah, epic. You, you talk about motivation, right? You talk about yeah. motivation, man. But you know what? That team was already on their way with motivation, Seth. And I think they were hungry as well. But the fact that Coach, it burned him for a whole offseason. Yeah. yeah, well, he was hungry, too. You know, he yeah. was hungry, too, as, as Larry Little said. You know, he, he didn't want that Shula couldn't win the big game uh, on his head either. That's so right. <laughs> they, uh, they showed everybody. They showed everybody what they were about. So, you know, after that, how, how could you not respect and fear Coach Shula in a lot of ways? But guys still had a good time. There's still guys who had, had some personality and had some fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And man, when we had Manny Fernandez in the tank and he talked about the time that he went, he went out hunting and uh, somehow <laughs> got the brilliant idea to leave a little present for Coach Shula in his shower. I had a full track swamp buggy and we used to hunt the Everglades on our days off. Our day off. Our day off. Yeah, days <laughs> off. When, when was that? Off season? Well, we, we, we also have Tuesday mornings. We didn't have to be in usually until 11, I think, for a meeting. And then we'd have uh, short practice, getting loose. We'd be out there for an hour, hour and a half. Um, but that Tuesday morning, we'd go out to the Glades. And uh, Bill Stanfill and I, and Zonka, that particular day, it was Bill and I and a couple friends of mine. and We were deer hunting out in the Everglades. And we went through this, what we call a flag pond. And it was just loaded with alligators. Stamfield just leaned over the deck, reached down and snatched one up, about a three-footer. And we folded it up, put it in the toolbox, and brought it back. to Snatched it up with his hands. <laughs> yeah, he grabbed it up with his hands, hit by the tail. And, <laughs> the? You know, we taped his mouth shut, put him in a toolbox, folded him up, fit him in real nice. Uh, <laughs> brought him back to training camp. And I asked Danny Dow to get him out of the trunk of my car. Just bring him in the locker room because we wanted to. I wanted to put him in Coach Shula's shower. Well, Danny loved that. <laughs> but anyway, I come in after practice, couldn't wait to get in because Coach Shula would always stay out on those days and work with the, with the quarterbacks. So anyway, Danny came in. Did you get him? He says, "Hell no." He was behind your spare tire, and all I could see was that tail. I said, "I told you his mouth was taped shut." <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to believe you. <laughs> so anyway, I go out. Yeah. I grabbed Zonk. He was in the locker room. I said, Zonk, come on. Give me a hand. I need some cover. So we go out and we grab the alligator. And Larry goes with me into Shula's office. And 
The secretary was a big Zonka fan. Larry goes in ahead of me and gets her busy doing something. I slip in behind him, get into coach's office, put it in the shower, close the door, slip back out. We come back out, and now we just we shower and leave. Well, about 7 o'clock that night, we went over. I don't remember where we went. Went and had a couple of beers. Came back, and we snuck into the locker room, the back door, and Danny's telling us the story. And we're howling. He's talking about how coach was running out the running all the way out the door with nothing but a towel, stark naked, <laughs> screaming his head off. We're, we're howling. I mean, we are sitting in the equipment room just howling, and we look up, and there's Coach standing in the doorway. Oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> I knew it was you. I knew it. We don't know what you're talking about, Coach. Danny's just telling us the story. Bullshit. He wasn't buying it. He went, we never admitted it. It went on for years. It was just a story. Right. Until they roasted Coach Arnsbarger one night. The Miami Touchdown Club had a roast, roasted Coach Bill. And I got up that night and told the story. Told the truth. Don't told let it the out. Truth. <laughs> and I said, and Coach, here's the rest of the story. Coach Arnsbarger went into the shower, saw the alligator, because he, remember, he used to shower in your shower. He went out. Didn't say anything. Didn't say anything. Showered <laughs> in the team locker room and went home. Left you to, gave you up. I said, your trusted wow. head assistant defensive right. coordinator laid you Just open. left an alligator there. Left, <laughs> him there. left him there. Now, did you guys leave the mouth taped shut, or did, did yeah, you? No, okay. we left, it was taped shut. <laughs> well, that was nice of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, oh, man. Yeah, I'm glad you did that. We were still winning ball games. Right, right. <laughs> man, oh, man, Seth, I don't know, man. South Florida and, and Gators, you know. Yeah. And who would, who would even think to do that to, to the legend? He wasn't to a legend anybody. then yet. Dude, I'm a Gator. I don't want one in my shower now. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it, man. And I tell you. Coach, from that point on, you know, he laid down the law, but he knows that his guys were all winners in there, and, but he also let them have a little bit of fun, but he wasn't happy that day at all. No. I mean, how could he be? Not at all. And you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of times when Coach isn't happy in that locker room and you catch him in a bad mood, you're going to run into some issues, right? Yeah, yeah. At the time, you know, when they had a, they had a tough loss, you know, and our friend Bobby Monica, he, he caught some oh, heat in the locker room. After a day where Bobby didn't really do anything, he didn't do no nope. wrong place, wrong time, <laughs> wrong place, wrong time, man. Well, it started out, you know, my dad was a coach for forty years. Okay, my dad did the draft for the Packers for sixteen years. Oh, no kidding. Coach Lombardi had pasta vazul at my house. You know what I mean? He was, he knew Coach Lombardi, all this stuff. So. Wow. But for me, it was, I was working for Don Shula, you know, yeah. so it was cool as shit to get yelled at by Don Shula. For the first <laughs> first 10 years, I thought my first name was fucking. <laughs> so, but the, the whole idea was get the job done. Coach wanted to get it done. Just don't let him find out how you got it done. Sometimes you had to, you know, do stuff. But you know, the best thing I can say about Coach is he ripped your ass, you know, and you, he was on you all the time and, and he kept you on your toes. But nobody outside of that team could mess with you. You know what I mean? Right. Somebody came at you that wasn't one of us. He jumped their ass. So yeah, he had you know? your back. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I got that's some all great you can ask for. Coach yeah. Shula, man. First of all, you gotta you gotta give like he, Bobby does a great Shula impersonation. Oh, you gotta call well. Eddie White. You know yeah. Eddie White? <laughs> Eddie White's got <laughs> the, the best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're going let me see. I first I first get there and we're playing in Buffalo. Now remember the old Buffalo locker room had the, the lockers going across ways. Right. So it kind of split it in two. So it was one of my first games, Monday night football. And we had the trunks there. We we didn't start picking up laundry till coach was done with his speech. 
So we're winning at halftime. We come in, we got roasted. So we end up losing. So it ain't like the Dolphins lost on Monday Night Football. It's the Dolphins fucked Coach Shula, made him look bad on Monday Night Football. <laughs> right, right. So he was pissed. <laughs> so the defense was on the back end, and I'm sitting there in front of they had stools back then. Bo Camper, Betters, Baumhauer, you know, all them guys are sitting in a row on the stools. Everybody's sitting down like this. So I'm sitting on the trunk. You know, I didn't want to open the lid to get the clothes until he was done. So D-Mac and uh, Judson are over on the side, uh, Don McNeil and William Judson. Remember the tape sharks? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so the guys used to tape their wrists like this, put the tape on their wrists. Right. So it got kind of rolled up. So... I forget who it was. It was it was McNeil or Judge. They were helping each other. One was helping the other one cut this thing. <laughs> so he's got like this. He's going like this. And it finally catches. The razor catches. Boom. Ooh. Right up his nose oh, with the razor shit. blade. Oh. So he starts with a high pitch like, oh, 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 his nose. Now, instead of just getting a towel and put it over, he goes into the shower. That's all tile. Oh, and it's echoing. And blood. Oh, it's screaming. So Coach Shula comes around the corner, right? And he's like, who the fuck is talking while I'm talking? And the first cat he sees is me sitting on that trunk. And he goes, was it you? Points in my face. His finger was like an inch from my face. And it looked like a big sausage, right? And I was like, so I'm, I'm like, I was, I was trying to say no, sir, you know? And I was like, no, sir. It came out real high. And Bo Camber, Bomber, and all them guys fell off their stools into their locker. They were laughing so hard. He went bananas. That's amazing. Coach, no joke, man. Oh, my God. Coach I was no so joke. scared, man. Well, Bobby caught the heat there, Juice. He, he caught some serious heat uh, and probably learned a lesson <laughs> there, even though, you know, he, he didn't do anything wrong. But what we did find out later is uh, he wasn't sure if it was William Judson or Don McNeil, but we found out who cut his nose, damn near cut his nose off. Off, completely off. Tape cutters. It was indeed William Judson, and we had him in the tank. He owned up to it. But while he was in the tank, he also talked about uh, a much more serious incident, and, and that was the 1982 strike. And, uh, and I think that was his first year. And uh, he really told a, a powerful story of how Coach Shula uh, looked at that, and, and I think there were some things that players were organizing, and Coach Shula felt one way, but then I think he surprised everybody in how he handled it. Back in 82, that was my second year. That was my actually first year, because the first year in 81, I was on injury reserve. Okay. But 82, uh, I made the team, uh, had a tremendous mini camp uh, before that season, but I made the team, and I felt pretty good about it. Now we're going to go on strike. Okay, my gosh, we're going on strike, and – I remember Shula, uh, the, well, the, the, the NFLPA said that we're going to show some solidarity. And we want both teams to meet at mid, midfield and shake hands. And Shula said, I ain't having none of that shit. Y'all, I control <laughs> this team. Y'all are not going to do that. And so, you know, we were nervous. And I said, dang, I just made the team. I don't want to do that. You know, nothing against Shula. And so I can't remember. I think it was Cephalo was our – uh, player rep, and uh, he said, guys, what do you guys want to do? Shula said, we better not shake hands. And so we said, you know, hey, a lot of the guys say, forget it. We got to do it. And so he can't cut all of them. So what we decided to do was to go ahead and shake hands at midfield. The entire team. The entire team. Now, there were seven guys that said, I'm not doing it. One of the guys was Kuchenberg. You know, he was kind of like against the union. But all the rest of them were kind of unruly. He said, I ain't, so I ain't going. I don't believe in that. So they had an aerial view at the, they took an aerial view, an air, a shot of the entire field. And you can see everybody's numbers that went out and oh, shook hands. Oh, boy. And so 
we went ahead and we shook hands and Shula was growling, standing over there looking. After the game, the next, when we came back for, to watch the film, all of the guys that did not shake hands, he cut them. Wow. He cut them. Are you serious? The guys he who did not shake no, he hands. Did, did not, except Kuchenberg. Right, Kuchenberg, you know, he didn't. He didn't guy, but everybody right. else, he cut. And so he had a team, and he said, guys, I was kind of just testing you guys. He said, I would rather for you guys to work as a team than to listen to anybody to try to tell you to do something that you didn't be, that you believed in. And I gained a lot of respect wow. for him because I was one of those that's, guys that's saying, should, awesome. I say, should I not? Go shake hands. I'm just a young guy. I just made the team. Imagine that if you just stayed back. I went ahead. He cut them all. Well, Juice, William Judson's story is another amazing example of how Coach Shula just got it. He just got it. Just when you think he's just kind of off the rails and, 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 and was going off on players, in the end, he got it and he understood what was important for his players and what and understood the importance of team. And that was really cool to hear firsthand from Judson. And, you know, and there was another guy who got to see both sides of Coach Shula. As a guy I spent a lot of time working for, uh, in PR legend Harvey Green. And uh, Harvey, Harvey talked about Coach being tough, but also that he, he was fair. You know, it, it was great for two reasons. One, there wasn't anything Coach Shula hadn't already seen. And you know him, OJ. One thing that separated him from Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner would blame me for somebody else's mistakes. Shula would blame me only for my own mistakes. And you've seen this. He'd yell at you if something happened. I was equated to like a thunderstorm. There's thunder, there's lightning, but it passes and daylight comes back. So he would yell at you. He'd get it out of the system. But if he trusted you, he felt you were professional, you knew what you were doing, it would pass. And then 20 minutes later, he'd go back to, you know, treating you as, as a professional. Right. And and the best thing, and, and, and this is true of some of the coaches I mentioned and, and true of, unfortunately, not true, some other coaches that I worked with down here, the best thing is he would listen to you. You know, we'd come off the field and they'd say, okay, what do you need me to do? What do you want? How do I handle this? Right. I mean, you played for him and, and, and yeah. you know, there were some things about him that I'm sure you understood were tough to deal with, but understood why he oh, did I it. Loved him. Yeah, loved but, but yeah. at the end, there yeah. were a lot of things that you really appreciated. And the best thing about Coach Hula was when he got mad at you, it would be over and done with, and he would listen to me and ask me for advice in the era that, that I was supposedly the expert in. You right. can't ask a coach of anything more than that. I've got he a treated question. people fairly. I've got a question because um, I got in trouble one time for a birthday party I had down in the Grove, <laughs> and I want to know how the hell – Just they, trouble once, they, Juice? Yeah, just once. <laughs> one serious one. That's not so and bad. I know then. you had to know about it too, Harvey, because I went up to – I don't know how Coach Shula found out about it, but somebody was talking about – you know, I had a birthday party on Thursday night. You know, we had a game on Sunday. I thought it was, it was okay. I, I lied and said I didn't know about it, but I knew about it. Coach, I knew about it. Coach, I knew about the, the party. So. You did know about, the party. know about the party. <laughs> it's out there now. But, like, so I know a lot of guys have had situations. So do you get a lot of information before it gets to Coach? you have to filter a lot yeah, of that? Yeah, through? I mean, the, the way it works is sometimes I would hear things from Stu, who I know you had on the show, and I, the stories he didn't tell you a lot better than the stories he did. But, <laughs> you know, with Coach, there are things I would find out, and sometimes I'd have to break it to him uh, if Stu hadn't or a player hasn't. But but the one thing that I said I liked is he, he'd figure out how to handle it and he'd ask me for advice. In your situation, I do remember that and I didn't want to throw anybody under the bus so I kind of felt let him handle it because I wasn't the first person to tell him. He knew right. about it when I came in and, okay. you know, and, and let the discipline <laughs> out there and what how to deal with the media. So there are times where, yeah, you have to go in and, and you really never want to be in a position of telling him something he didn't know because that would be one of the times he would get mad and you might be a guy who's taking some of those bullets. Right. 
you know, why am I finding this out from you? Right. It's a good question, but why is he asking me that? <laughs> right. Right. Somebody else should be answering yeah. that. Eventually, he got over it. But the one thing about Coach Shula is, and you know this, OJ, sometimes you had to think on your feet. When when Mike Shula was coaching at Alabama, when Coach Shula would get off the plane on, on, a, on a Saturday, when we'd land in the visiting city, I was always advancing. And I always knew the first thing he would ask me when he came off the plane was what's the Alabama score? Right. And again, no cell phones in those days, so I had to call the press box or whatever to get the score, so I had it for him. Well, I couldn't get it for some reason. I couldn't get through, and I didn't have it when he came off the plane. So I was saying, what the hell am I going to do? So he comes off the plane, and he says, uh, Harvey, what's the Alabama score? Zero uh, uh, zero on the first, coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, good. Let me know when you find anything right. else out. At some point, you yeah. were right. That's <laughs> right. You had to be right. <laughs> That's class. And so, OJ, you know, the, the advancing thing, and really for the listeners as well, because I got to experience this, and, and different, by the time I was doing it, we really only handled the media stuff. And, and, and at that point, we were at least FedExing things and there was email and all these other things that Harvey didn't have. But Harvey would have us. What we were supposed to do is we put all these packets together. You get all these clips from the newspaper clippings. So when those coaches, I mean, it was like game day when they walked off that plane. And you've seen it yes. as a player. You oh, come yeah. off as a PR guy. You're running around. You're sweating. You're making sure everybody gets their packets. The, their their hotel keys were in the packets. If they had per diem, if they had money. And we had to work with the operations guys and get all that stuff together. So I can only imagine for Harvey what that was like. Knowing that Shula was, and you don't know what you're going to get, right? They get off that plane, you don't know what you're going to walk into. Well, I'll tell you two quick things. One, the most important thing in the packet were the clips, because this is before the internet. And when you went up to these other cities, you were kind of like the eyes and ears. So every, every day, yeah, I would, what's I, happening in I, that I, town? I would cut right. out the newspaper articles and the Buffalo mm-hmm. Daily News, and 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 and, and fa- you know, I'd I'd have to fax right. them back right. so they'd you have get like injury yeah. reports or right. what happened. And, and to actually, yeah. Coach Shula always asked me to go up early on Tuesday to Buffalo because Bill Paul. Napoleon had a radio show at 7 o'clock that he wanted me to take notes about. Right, that you could listen to yeah, now I, I, down I, here. Yeah, yeah, now, right but, yeah, yeah exactly. can't do it now. Right, so right. I'd land, get my car radio, and turn it on, sit there on the side and take notes about Napoleon talking about injuries or anything. I and find a payphone and call yeah. back your coach. Yeah. But, but there, there, there are times where – That's great. And Seth might remember this. You certainly will. When we landed on Saturday, they don't do this anymore. We would actually go, go to, to the, the visiting site oh, yeah. and, and, and do it. Jimmy do did it, it the first right, year. do it an hour and a half walk through first year. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Until the equipment truck got there, exactly right. You would go and do some film work, exactly right, and and, mm-hmm. wait, and, and get on the practice. But I remember once when uh, we got there and the equipment truck broke down. And I had to tell Coach, Coach, we're going to be late. The equipment truck broke down. He says, well, where the hell was the backup equipment truck? <laughs> we're going to have backup equipment trucks. That's a coach. That's but, a coach, but anyway, right? But so then what, Harvey started checking the engines. Yeah. He'd make the bus drivers turn the engines oh, on. Oh, that's all. Those, oh, well, I'll tell you a little about that. So th- I, I had a checklist, right, of all these things exactly. You know, I love this story. Back. So we landed in, in, in Providence, and we only had limited time. We were going to Schaefer Stadium. when you know, when, We only had a limited time to, to do our walkthrough there because they had to kick us out for whatever reason right so we only had that window so the plane lands in providence and i'm i'm all set i'm you know we got everything all together and we bring the staircase up to meet the plane you know the one front staircase they pump the staircase up and it doesn't reach the top <laughs> it was for a 757 not a 767 now this is providence it's not like there are thousands of staircases running around like this this is before they had jetways so they open the door and the staircase is about three feet down 
And Shul is looking at that, and he's looking at me. Was this get, after the Achilles? Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Lord. So smoke is coming out of his ears. Not that he was worried about the drop down, but he knew we were wasting time, and this was time that would be taken away from the amount of time we had to practice. So I was running like crazy, and I had to go to United, and they had to get their staircase because we were flying Delta. And it took about 25 minutes before we actually got that second staircase. So the whole team up. is on the plane. And the whole team's on the plane. They're all looking at looking me. Out looking out the window. window. <laughs> laughing because they know what's oh, going on. Man. And then I can see him going, eh. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm dreading when I finally get this. I want to, if, you know, it was concrete. If I could bury a hole there, I'd dig myself into it. So Shula comes off the staircase. And since you cursed, I, 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 can, I, can, I can say it the way he did. He comes to me and he looks at me and he said, Add that to your fucking checklist. <laughs> <laughs> and he walked into the bus. And all the players came down and said, Way to go. Yeah, you really exactly screwed right, that one exactly up. Right. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. I did add it to the checklist because every other week after that, I would ask him to pump those stairs up long before the plane ever got there. Right, right. You know exactly if it's <laughs> going to work. Right. Not- yeah, Coach was definitely fair, and Harvey knew that part of it, but he found out the hard way, as we both know, Big <laughs> Seth. You know what I mean? And uh, he, But he loved that about Coach, you know. Coach ended up valuing his advice, man, and how to handle right. the media. And that was one of the toughest parts because Coach did things his way. But Harvey taught him the, the not taught him, but showed him some of the media savvy and how you can handle these guys. And, and Coach had him eating out of palm of his hands at times. You know what I mean? But think about it though. We had another buddy come in into the tank, Big Webb, Richmond Webb. Yes, sir. And he found out kind of the hard way too. And when Coach <laughs> called him up to his office one time, which was a, a hilarious story because nobody wants to be called in the coach's office. Yeah, I got myself second year. I got myself. <laughs> okay. Like like Juice just said, played my rookie year, played all the snaps, and and we went and played the Raiders in Tokyo. We had five preseason games, so I partially tore my PCL in that game. So I had this big brace on that I had to wear. I had worked the whole season, so uh, I actually missed the first two regular season games of my second year. So I came back, and of course, trying to work back into it. And so anybody that knows Coach Shula, he reads the paper, he reads anything that's in it, whatever it's snap, blah blah. So. It's Harvey's fault. We'll blame Harvey. <laughs> well, the thing is, the guys are always asking you, are you 100%? Are you this? Are you that? And so I'm like, no, I'm not 100%. I'm 80, 75. You try to put a percentage on, you just know you're not 100% healthy. So sitting over there at St. Thomas and Malacca, the next thing, I think it was around lunchtime, and somebody says, hey, Coach Shula want to see you. <laughs> Anytime Coach Shula want to see you, it ain't, it ain't a good deal. So No. <laughs> I'm walking back there at first. I was like, man, you won't see me. I said, I ain't did nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I go back there and then, you know, you sit down and he's intimidating. He's staring you right in your eyes, you know, just saying, like, what the hell is all this you put in the paper about you're not 100%, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not 100%. So he starts chewing my ass, right? And so me, I was young, kind of immature. So I, I get sensitive, I get moist. And so it's not. <laughs> I said, Coach, somebody else, you put somebody else in there. You know, I'm, I, I can't take too much. I was like, man, he's drilling me. He said, no, 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 no. He said, no. He said, what you got to realize is everybody is playing with some type of injury, hurt, or whatever. He said, you got to find a way to get through it, this and that. And so I just said, okay, or whatever. So I walked out of there. You know, I was pissed off because he didn't just rip me up. But then after I thought about it, I could appreciate it later because that's what I really needed to hear. If I keep telling people, oh, I'm not hurt, it's like I was putting a target on my own back. Right. You got to figure out a way because I'm like, I'm going out there. You're going to play. So ain't no need to crying about it or, 
or making excuses for it, find a way to get the job done. And that's what, what I did. I, I didn't appreciate it that day, but I think that is something I use throughout the rest of my career is you got to find a way to try to get it done. So didn't miss a whole lot of games. Took, it only took one time to his office. though. That's I didn't that. that was it. One and done. <laughs> and big sad this. We know nobody was bigger than coach Shula and he didn't care how big you were. You know, if he made, if he needed to make a point, your stature meant nothing to him. He was the big man on campus, right? And Absolutely. you know what? Another former equipment guy, Tony Eggers, he witnessed that exchange between coach and the NFL commissioner Tagliabue the same way. Even oh, the commissioner man. wasn't as big as coach. Coach was the man. First game that we actually get on the sidelines with that golf cart. He didn't miss a game, right? right. No, he had no, surgery. no, no, no. First game, and you can look this up, Monday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs, and Paul Tagliabue was at the game. To this day, I will argue with anyone, I don't care who it is, that when Coach Shula was in the NFL, he was by far and away the most powerful and most influential individual in the entire league. And I remember Paul Tagliabue comes down, he says, hey, Don, listen, um, th- this might not be the best idea. You know, you, This being the golf cart the golf on the cart. side. Um, yeah, right. okay. the golf cart, this may not be the best idea. That golf cart, we get somebody hurt, somebody runs into it. And I kind of got the impression that's why the commissioner was there. Boy, coach lit him up like a Christmas tree, <laughs> like the Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Center. You know, Don't you effing tell me what to do. This is my same. I'll do it. And, you know, it was just so bad that Paul Tagliabue looked at him. He goes, okay, Don, whatever you want. I'll go up to the press box. He goes, yeah, you go up to the press box. Damn. You know, sure. Paul Sent Tagliabue. The commissioner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right yeah. There. But he didn't, he didn't mess around. I'm, I'm telling you, he was the most powerful and, and deservingly so. Right. He was the most powerful man in the entire league. And you were driving around on a golf cart. I was driving around. So here we go. Hitting the bushes. Game starts. And John Gamble served as kind of like our get-back guy, our strength and conditioning coach at the time. And here we go. First play from scrimmage. We kick off to them. This kid takes it 95 yards the other way. So at the end of the game, at the end of the play, coach is like completely turned around because we were at one angle and the play finishes up at another angle. He looks down at me and he says, you make sure I'm at an effing angle where I can see each and every play. You know, not. So you were supposed to know this guy was going to take it back and you got to whip that golf cart around, which is so easy. Golf cart's so easy to reverse and forward, reverse and forward. The whole sideline full of people and equipment. The easiest job in the world right there. On occasion, not, not often, but on occasion, I'd build up enough tam- temerity to, to say something. And I look up at him. I, I say, Coach, this isn't the Flintstones. I can't just pick this thing up and turn it around. And he, he looks down. He looks down at me. He goes, don't you talk back to me. He goes, I'll have you out of here tomorrow. Well, he I, just sent know, the commissioner upstairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, somebody I'm like, else can, oh, can run the PCs. I, I imagine they can find somebody else to do it. I was completely deflated for the rest of the game. You know, that was all she wrote. Man, nobody tells a story like Tony Eggless. Nobody. <laughs> he had nobody. a bunch of great ones with Coach. <laughs> had, some, had some great times. But, you know, when you, when you listen to that and you think about some of the other stories we've heard, how could we expect Coach Shula to be intimidated by Paul Tagliabue? Sure, he was the commissioner of, of the National Football right. League. But you're talking about a man who wasn't intimidated by the president of the United States. Nobody. <laughs> right? Nobody. He wasn't intimidated by anybody. <laughs> so uh, another man who's rarely intimidated in, in Stu Weinstein, one of our all-time favorite guests here in the tank. I think the only two-time guest we've ever had dive in the tank. Stu tells some, some great stories about Coach Shula and some interaction with some of the biggest names 
on the planet. My, my first year, it was probably about week eight or nine. And this, this Super Bowl ring that I thought I was going to get, we're, <laughs> we're now sitting at five and four. And, and I, I don't think we're even in first place. I think we were actually either trailing the Jets or the Patriots. And uh, we're playing the Jets at home. And frankly, if we lose this game... I don't think we're going to make the playoffs. So we're, we're it's it's one of these, uh, you know, typical late October, early November games. It's 150 degrees out. We're battling the Jets who had beaten us up there on a Monday night about three or four weeks before. And things aren't looking good. And as he did hundreds of times in his career, Dan Marino leads us down the field, throws a, a, a touchdown pass to Mark Duper, who, as he did 100 times in his career, makes this unbelievable catch, and we end up beating the Jets. So we, I think we beat them 21 to 17. So now we're in the in the cramped locker room of, of the Orange Bowl after the game, and I'm drenched. And, and you know, understand this now, you know, the players, the coaches, the staff, they come to the stadium dressed, change, go on the field, come in, take a shower, change, and go home, or if we're on the road, fly back. I couldn't do that because my, my fear was while I'm in there taking a shower, someone's going to come in the locker room that's not supposed to be there. So right. the way I came to the stadium or the way I came to the stadium on the road is how I went home. So I'm standing there just drenched in sweat. Cochula's sitting there. He hasn't even he hasn't even changed yet, just exhausted from the game. And in walks Don Johnson. And of course, Don Johnson <laughs> at the time is one of the co-stars of Miami Vice, which at the time, if not the most popular show in the country, is certainly the most popular show in Florida. Yeah, it was a in, national hit. Yeah. Tubs. Yeah. I was watching in Ohio. Absolutely. So, so he comes in, he comes in with his entourage, and uh Bobby Monica, our equipment manager, you know, knew him and brings him over to introduce him to Cochula. Bobby had been on the show, I think. I think he Bobby had, had been on the show. <laughs> I think Bobby did play. Tony learned it from somewhere. Yeah. So uh, he comes over, brings him over, and, and introduces him to Coach Shula. Coach Shula sitting down, looks up at him. And when Bobby tells him he's with Miami Vice, Coach Shula tells him, he says, well, you know, keep up the good work out there. You guys do a great job. <laughs> I had no clue. So, so there, there's a, a uh, kind of an uncomfortable hushed silence. So, so Bobby jumps in and says, Coach, he said, no, no. He said, you don't understand. He said, Don Johnson's with Miami Vice. He, he's an actor with Miami Vice. And Coach Shula looks up again and without using bad language, which I promised my wife I wouldn't do on the show. <laughs> we'll, we'll take up for you on that one there. Um, so we'll he, make sure he, we cover uh, it. looks up and says, Monica, he said, I know what an effing vice cop does. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> now, now, Don Johnson was shocked. So I mean, awkward. he couldn't believe that someone didn't know. Who right. He figured was. everybody in the world knew who he was. So at that his point. head's down and he kind of limps out with his entourage. <laughs> Coach Shula takes a shower. We're, we're the last two guys out of the locker room. We go up to get his wife. And on the way up the elevator, I said to him, I said, Coach, I said, do you have any idea who that guy was? And I explained to him who John Johnson is and the show and all that. And the only thing he could, the only answer he had was that if the show was on Friday night, which it was, that was date night for him and his wife, and he didn't never watch the show. <laughs> that was it. We get up to get her. And she was appalled that he didn't know who, because she did. She certainly knew who. So he was. she was thinking about something else right. on date night, apparently, because she knew exactly <laughs> yeah, who Don Shula was. He was like, like most of these head coaches, all the head coaches I've worked for, you know, these guys are all football. I mean, that's yeah. how they got there, and that, and that's kind of what they did. The other story I can tell was actually during the offseason, Coach Shula and myself and his wife go to watch a Marlins game. And uh, we're sitting in their suite, and word comes down that uh, Wayne Heisinger, uh, who had, at this time had bought the team and also owned the Marlins, had the first President Bush at the stadium as his guest. And he's sitting in the kind of in the founders area, which is down on the field. So I go down there to see about getting President Bush to come up to Coach Shula's suite. And, and the Secret Service guys tell me they can't do that because they hadn't 
walk the route and it might, it might be a, you know, whatever. So I go back up. This is national to get, security. <laughs> to try to get Coach Shula to come down to meet with President Bush. Yeah. And he wants President Bush to come up. <laughs> and, and between the two of them, they, they never, they never hooked up. <laughs> That's right. It was just a big game of chicken and nobody was going to give. More than that, the Pope comes in town. And this is <laughs> this is during a training camp. And Coach Shula gets invited to a mass, which was at the Archdiocese, which is probably about, I guess, maybe 15, 20 minutes away from training camp. It's still at St. Thomas. And Coach Shula, of course, again, it's in training camp. So he's not, he's not about to leave training camp to go visit with anybody. So he tells me to call over there and see if the Pope will stop by. <laughs> on, on, which, of course, again, for security reasons, couldn't, couldn't get <laughs> I love that. I know Stu didn't make the call to the Pope. <laughs> he didn't put the call into the Pope. But the fact that Coach uh, Coach even felt that maybe the Pope would change his schedule for him just shows you. It just shows you where he stood here in South Florida and really across the entire league. And Stu did a great job of sharing those stories. And I think all the stories, man, I, I'm so appreciative of our guests over the last two seasons of having shared these stories, Juice. And when you hear them in real time, they're all a lot of fun. But in a moment like this, when you really need to reflect about someone who, who was so important to this franchise, uh, th this was our little way uh, of paying tribute and celebrating the man that was Coach Shula. Yeah, man. Coach was a legend, you know, and uh, everybody looked at him that way. And I tell you what, it's just funny to see these guys and the stories that they had, their interactions with Coach. And, you know, you can look up his numbers, his wins and losses and, you know, things like that. But to see what guys had to say from the heart, and from what they felt and what they witnessed in person, that's what's special about this man. He had a personal connection with everybody, you know, on his team. From, you know, you talk about, you know, equipment guys to our head of security to, you know, guys like that to his players. There's nobody that coach did not touch in terms of, you know, a personal relationship with. And that's what's, that's what's special about Coach Shula. So many guys coach, and that's all they do. This guy right here, he was a, an integral part of people's lives, and people talk about it to this day. And it, it was a special moment for me. I know it's a special moment for all my teammates, and I know it's a special moment for South Florida community. No question about it, Juice. And, and again, I know today was a difficult day for you to do this, but I, I appreciate you spending some time. And it was a lot of fun looking back on these stories, and I hope everybody enjoys them and, and, and can reflect in the way that we've been able to here in the tank. Thank you guys for diving in, man. And uh, we love you, Coach. We'll miss you. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one. of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank, Try hard, old school, a new school, mix it in. Feeling like we up close when we listening. Dolphins tales in Miami is the deep end. We vibing with our favorite players, no secret. We get with Seth and McDuffie. 
Bringing up stories we never heard to the public. Bet we love it. Dolphin fans never budget. We loyal to the team, whether happy or we upset. We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about the fans. And if you ready for that water, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about the fans. And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about the fans. You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive in. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank Rapping with OJ and Seth, time to dive up in that fish tank Dolphins were at a cookie